I have a statement to make to you today, and I'm going to <clears throat> deliver it as carefully as I can. And um, toward the end, I'm going to express a little more just uh, a heart feeling regard regarding this issue. But um, I have known for weeks that this day would come even before we knew um, exactly what day we would be regathering. By the way, we don't like using the word reopening. The church never closed, as you saw from the people who were still functioning. Ministry still went on every day, um, but, so, but we are regathering. Um, and so I knew this day was coming, and, you know, unprecedented. There's no, what do you say to a congregation when you've been through a pandemic and you've been not able to gather and now you're able to have them come back? What are the words? What's the message? So I've literally been praying for weeks about what I want to give to you this morning. <clears throat> and it's this. Christianity has been historically seen for its greatness in times of trouble, in times of challenge, in times of difficulty, similar to that which we've seen in the 2020 coronavirus pandemic. When you look at our brothers and sisters all over the world, and you've ever done any study of the persecuted church, or you've looked at all at um, parts of the world where the church is living in very persecuted, uh, very persecuted environment, you'll see that they have thrived, and the gospel has literally proliferated greatly, even in times, and especially in times of great persecution. We have brothers and sisters who've lived their entire lives, Christian brothers and sisters who've lived their entire lives under communism and have experienced not just 13 weeks, but have an entire life of far more inconvenience than we've had in the last 13 months, far more isolation, far more inconvenience, far more uh, seclusion, and far less ability to function as a church than we have. And I, if I may be so bold and brash, the reality of it is we can easily look like wimps compared to the persecution and the inconvenience that they have faced in, in wanting to function as, as a church. And yet the stories are these, the stories I always hear from our missionaries and from friends of mine who, who, who know this intimately and well. In those environments, the gospel thrives. Christianity flourishes in those moments. When I hear stories, as I did this week, of how every member of a persecuted church in some oppressed part of the world had to bring what little water they had remaining for the week and join it with the little bit of water that other members of the church brought together just to have enough to baptize a new believer. Very, very poor situations, very, very difficult situations. It reminds me how the church thrives in times of difficulty. <clears throat> At the Second World War, the world enemy was different than a microscopic virus that we have faced, and yet the war against that enemy was required. And it was Sir Winston Churchill who beautifully reframed the war. And in fact, in just 11 days from today, it will be the 80th anniversary of his prolific words which were given, Sir Winston Churchill, on June the 18th, 1940, when he said these words in his speech regarding the Battle of Britain. He said, upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. 
Now the whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. For Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be freed and the life of the world may move forward into broad and sunlit uplands. He means free upward movement into light. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, and all that we have known and cared for will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more prolonged or protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duty and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and Commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will still say, this was our finest hour. Bethesda, without a doubt, we have been living through extremely challenging days. Who would have ever dreamed that we would be isolated in our homes or sheltered in place and for so long? Who would have ever dreamed that we would be asked to wear masks and gloves anytime we are out in public? Would you have ever thought that we would be in a situation that was deemed unsafe for us to be together in a house of worship for this long? Who would have thought? Your travel would be restricted. You could not go freely to all the places you would wish to go, even on a whim if you wanted to. You can't do that. Who would have thought that every place of business that you frequent would not be open for business and not their services, goods and services not available to you? That people would lose their jobs. The economy would take such a huge hit. Lifestyles would be changed. Educational methods completely altered. Tensions would mount high as opinions and theories proliferated through our society. And I might as well say it out loud right now and clearly. Surely you have to know that everyone sitting in this room, not everyone sitting in this room, agrees with the way this pandemic has been handled. Not everyone agrees at the national level, at the state level, nor at the level of our local church. And then, just as it looked like we might be starting to pull out of it, reopen our cities, reopen our states, and able to regather for church today, just as we thought we might be catching our breath, another situation takes place that rocks our country. A horrific, senseless, needless, extremely public murder took place, graphically visible to all, wrenching our hearts and evoking volatile response, once again bringing to the surface that everyone in this country understands the reality that we have never truly dealt with the sin of racism because its ugly head reappears every time we see yet another violent killing. And so Bethesda, we stand today on history's stage at the precise time when a very real and dangerous disease has become both a physical and a spiritual war. We stand today, Bethesda, on history's stage at the exact moment which may forever define our racial divide at its worst and ugliest. But I am bold enough to ask you this morning to zoom out just a bit and look with a different set of eyes, at least for the next few minutes, if you will listen to me carefully, and not the eyes with which you view Fox News or CNN. Because even more then we need the world's greatest minds to find a vaccine and a cure. 
far greater than we need any measure of what we call racial reconciliation. Our planet, our world needs every Christian to war against the spirit, the processes, and the powers of Satan and Antichrist perspectives. We know what Ephesians 6 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The spirit of Satan is anti-Christ and is seeking to reframe his diabolical agenda in what can appear to be a a positive terms of human sustainability, health, and wellness, or placating platitudes of feigned politeness to people who don't look like you. On the surface, the issues are framed as this is for personal and global good, but the Antichrist spirit, hear me, however, isn't working on the surface. It is vigorously working behind the scenes, not for personal or global good, but for the complete overthrow of the kingdom of God on this earth. That's what he's doing. Wake up. The spirit of Antichrist is aggressively pursuing the end-time agenda of darkness by manipulating mental models, fear, and issues of power and control throughout the entire world. And the spirit of Antichrist is well-served should Christians be turned against each other over non-eternal issues such as mask or no mask such as gather now or gather later. When's the pastor ever gonna get with it and call church back together? Over non-eternal issues like isolate and quarantine or freely socialize. The spirit of antichrist is well served should Christians be turned against each other over constitutional rights or moral responsibility and also white privilege over black privilege. Please hear me. I am not minimizing nor marginalizing any of these issues. I'm simply delineating that which serves the purpose of Satan. And I'm asking the congregation that I'm serving to please wake up and see it this morning. Look beyond that which you're seeing on the surface. Look with the spiritual eyes that God has given you. You wanna know what the first two clearly identifiable signs of the handiwork of Satan are? There's two immediate signs that when you see them, you recognize it is the work of Satan. Accusation and division. When you see accusation, brother against brother, brother against sister, sister against sister, when you see accusation and when you see someone stirring division, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt the enemy has his way in that situation. He's the accuser of the brethren. Those are two immediate signs that he gives away. When you can identify them, you know he's in control. But we, church of the living God, we are called to live by a higher standard. We are called to rise above the noise, above the chaos, above all that's taking place, to hear the voice of God, to see with spiritual eyes, and to respond with the spirit of Jesus. And what is happening right now 
is that the Spirit of Christ is identifying fully committed disciples from partially committed disciples. Just listen and you'll hear them identify themselves very, very easily. The fully committed from the partially committed. And in so doing, the Spirit of Christ is birthing a gigantic global move of people to God. And I'm going to tell you this, I want to see it before I die. I don't care what I have to give up. I don't care what I have to lay down. I don't care what has to be changed in me. I don't care what attitudes and perspectives have to be eradicated from me, even if I've lived with them the whole of my life. Oh, convicting power of the Holy Spirit, move across our fellowship today. Let the church truly have ears to say what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Issues have been framed such as Democrats put lives before the economy and Republicans put the economy before lives. And here's what I would propose to you, that neither of these have any bearing whatsoever upon the Holy Spirit's priority of saving the human soul for all eternity with God. That's the priority. In fact, I'm going to tell you this, whether I live or die in this world is far less important than if I am eternally saved and going to spend eternity eternity with Jesus. Whether we have a booming economy or a busted one is far less important than being eternally saved or lost. Is there a witness in the house today? Matthew 10, 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It is my guess that more money has been spent or lost in this war against this coronavirus than all the money ever spent on missions endeavors throughout the whole of of Christian history. We, as the church of the living God, must keep our primary focus on the saving of souls unto eternal life in Jesus Christ. And it is time to examine what weapons we are holding in our hand. What weapons are you holding in your hand? Are they weapons of carnality? Carnality in the Greek means, is is the word sarkikos, sarkikos. And it means, carnality means pertaining to the flesh, low in spiritual knowledge and frame. Are we holding weapons of carnality? Or have we been willing to lay those weapons down and pick up the weapon which is mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds? That's the one, the weapon he has given us. The chief weapon in our battle against Satan and our battle for souls is God-given love. It's the love of God. I remind you the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, 35. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if what? You have? It is the glue that holds the body of Christ together also in this war that we're facing. First Peter 4 says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another with, I'm reading the word of God to you, all right? Be hospitable to one another without grumbling As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. 
If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion and forever and ever. Amen. The overwhelming word for us today, and the thing I want you to hear above everything else, and the thing to which this pastor is calling this fellowship to, the undeniable call to us today is this. We are to excel in Christian love. We are right now being attacked as I've not seen in my lifetime. Right in the church. We are subject to an absolute, all-out, blatant attack. This pandemic has caused it. And it doesn't matter which, I mean, it's this, this side or this side, and they're strong opinions, and everyone's convinced they are right. And do I even need to bring up what's happened in this last week? The divide that is coming that is there, being evidenced. We are to excel in Christian love, for it enables us to avoid cooperation with the spirit of Antichrist. And it keeps us in right relationship with God because Jesus reveals that loving God and loving your neighbor is required for you to gain eternal life. It's required. Loving God and loving your neighbor. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say and and, and, and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. So the question is abundantly clear to us. What must you do to gain eternal life? And the answer is equally clear. Love God and love your neighbor even the one that's a bit of a challenge to you. Our eternal inheritance requires us, Bethesda, to excel in love, be excellent in love. And thanks be to God, just about the moment you think you can't, just about the moment you think you don't have it in you for that to happen, he gives us the ability to excel in love through the power of the Holy Spirit that, that dwells within you. So how do we do that, Pastor Dan? What does excelling in love look like? Help me, Lord Jesus. We, ex we excel in Christian love by limiting our rights for the sake of love. Let's start with marriage. You know what? There's lots of things that I just don't do because I love this woman right here. I would probably even have the right if I wanted to go do this or, or go do that. Is it my right? Yeah. But I know it's not her preference. I know it's not something that she particularly cares for. And I give it up. And I do it lovingly because I love this woman more than I love whatever else it is. That's what marriage looks like. We limit our rights for the sake of love with your neighbors, with your friends, with those you are called to be with, with the world in which we live. We, how do you excel in Christian love? By limiting our rights. Let me take it just a step further. Romans 14, 
we see the Apostle Paul highlighting two matters of conscience that he indicates were hindering the Roman church from excelling in love. There's a couple things he's saying, you, you, all, don't, you all don't get it. If you're going to excel in love, you've got, to, you've got to fix this. Number one, they were not excelling in love because of heated debate between eating meat or vegetables. Okay, you can giggle at it, but we've got some stuff that's just as stupid. Sorry. Number two, second, they were not excelling in love because of disagreement over holy days. It's what he, it's what he gives us in Romans 14. And frankly, I believe that if Paul were sitting in Bethesda church today, he would say, Bethesda, you need to excel in loving even in the deeply held beliefs that you have of mask or no mask and your strong opinion about gather or don't gather and in your extreme positions that you hold on black culture versus white culture. You need to excel in love because you are called a child of God. In this 14th chapter of Romans, Paul reveals that excelling in love has requirements. If you're going to do what the Lord's called you to do, if you're going to obey the, obey the Word of God, excelling in love has requirements. Verse 3 would say, do not despise the person who differs from you. I'm giving you this straight from the Word. Also in verse 3, to excel in love means you do not pass judgment. That is not yours to do. Verse 5 would tell us to excel in love, be fully convinced in your own mind. And what he's really saying is our actions should be dictated by conviction is what that means. And be faithful to that of which you are convicted or convinced. Why? Because he teaches us in verse 10, because we won't stand in front of each other for judgment, but you're going to stand before God and give an account. Each of us and this is highlighted in verse 12 of that chapter. Each of us will give an account of himself before God. We excel in Christian love when, while walking in freedom, we limit our rights for the sake of love. I could, but I won't. For the sake of love. We excel in Christian love because it is our most powerful testimony to the very people we are commissioned to reach. We have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to reach our neighbors, to reach our world for Jesus. And it's the most powerful tool that you possess is the love that you have for them. We love one another deeply through the power of the Holy Spirit so that the world may know the truth about Jesus and come to know him personally. And speaking to his father, Jesus said in John 17, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. When we excel in Christian love, we proclaim that the Christian's primary ministry during the global pandemic isn't mask or no mask. It isn't distancing or not distancing. It's not gathering or not gathering, but loving one another deeply from the heart. That's what matters. When we excel in Christian love, we proclaim true, genuine love for people of all colors, all tribes, all tongues, all races. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And every one of them are someone for which he died. He gave his life. And we demonstrate it by the example of our lives. So what will it require of Dan Smith? What will it mean? 
what will it require of you? How far are you being asked to reach? What is the limit of your reach? And why? Because clearly, that which is being required of us in this hour, as we stand on history stage, is true Christian love. As in the words of Sir Winston Churchill, 80 years ago next week. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the history of Bethesda Church lasts for a thousand years, people will still say, in the spring of the year 2020, along with the rest of the world, the church was hit with a deadly pandemic, the likes of which no one alive at that time had ever seen before. And right in the midst of that pandemic came a tragic circumstance of racial divide. The world chose to rise up in revolt. But the church, the church, the true church of the Lord Jesus, the church chose to rise up and unite as one for the cause of Jesus Christ. The church valued Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is when men dwell together in unity, for there he commands his blessing to fall. The church chose to excel in Christian love. Therefore, Bethesda, let it be said of us, this was our finest hour.